And welcome back to Taxpayer Talk. You're here with Max today, and we're discussing rent controls with senior economist Brad Olson. Brad is an economist and director at Infometrics. He's risen to be one of New Zealand's more prominent and youngest economic commentators, regularly featuring across TV, radio, print, and online. In March 2021, he was named 2020 Young Wellingtonian of the Year. Brad, thanks for coming on Taxpayer Talk. Thanks so much for having me. So recently, the government has announced new tax measures, namely changes to the bright line test and interest deductibility on properties that will increase landlord expenses. It seems that even without New Zealand's current soaring property prices, these measures may increase rent. What impacts do you think they'll have on Joe Taxpayer? Yeah, it's an interesting proposition, and I guess the concern is that more widely rents are going to go up anyway. We've seen uh, over the last few years that rents continue to rise. In fact, even prior to these changes coming into effect, we've seen that rents are going up across the country. That is making it harder for some uh, to you know, keep a roof over their head. Now, in general, we haven't seen that rents are moving too out of step with wages. However, we've also seen an increase in the number of people on the state housing waitlist, and what that indicates to me is that those are at the lowest end of society that are finding it difficult to make ends meet to start with, they are more at risk of being impacted. Now, the government's changes are going to make it more expensive for landlords uh, to continue their operations compared to at least what they were previously faced with. Uh, I think it's a bit disingenuous to call this a loophole that's being closed. It wasn't a loophole, it's how business works. Uh, the changes are, of course, the government's response to the, an incredible housing crisis where things are very much out of control, but there are questions over... Uh, if this is the only method of, of uh, focus that the government has when it comes to regulating housing, and also how that balance of restricting demand works at the same time as trying to increase supply. All right, and, and to top it all off, we, we do seem to have this idea of rent controls that's been floated recently in the media, and Finance Minister Grant Robertson has refused to rule them out. So I understand that there's two main types, and I was just hoping you could explain for our audience what exactly rent controls are. Yeah, there's a, there's a range of different ways that people consider them, and the first one is whether or not, uh, as a landlord or, or the person setting rent, you would ever are able to change them. Sometimes the government might set a limit and, and say either, look, rents can't go above... Uh, a certain dollar value or that they can't increase by more than a certain percentage over a period of time and one of the big differences comes in over if you put on those rent controls uh, like that over you know say a certain percentage going up no more than three percent or five percent a year uh, whether or not that includes sort of existing rentals or if it changes so let's use a quick example to, to highlight this one option is that a current rental might not be able to increase by any more than five percent a year but when you change your renter you might be able to put the price up by ten percent for that new tenant. Other types of controls might say, for example, that you can only put it up uh, 3 to 5% a year, every year, no matter if you've got a new tenant, an old tenant, or, or whatever. So that's the, the main uh, difference you see coming through there for rental controls. I see. And if we go for the traditional understanding of rental controls, which we see in uh, San Francisco is currently being purported in London, was recently shut down in Berlin, where we just have a flat cap on how much rent you can charge. Uh, to your tenants. So what does this look like in practice? Who, who comes out as the winner and the loser in this situation? The big winner is currently people who are renting. So if you're already locked in, you're an existing renter, you benefit quite a lot from these policies. But the losers are people who try to become renters uh, moving forward. Everyone who is essentially not already captured in the bubble really uh, loses out. Now look, rent controls sound like a simple, elegant solution at the very surface. They, they are simplistic in that sense and that's why people often flock to them. But actually they are some of the worst and most ill-thought-out 
proposals because we've seen time and time again, no matter if it's uh, the likes of Germany, San Francisco, other parts of the US, that eventually they actually limit the additional supply of housing. They mean that you end up with lower quality housing outcomes and in fact you find that people who are essentially locked into their current housing benefit much more and those who are currently without continue to be without and at a, a much greater price uh, premium. So to put this in terms that points out its relevance to the everyday Kiwi. So when you limit the amount of rent that you can charge with a permanent cap, that means over time as wages increase, uh, it becomes incredibly cheap to stay in the apartment, which means that over time you're going to, no one's going to want to move out of their apartment or their dwelling or wherever they're residing. And that means that uh, you're going to end up with essentially a, a, a whole generation, as we've seen in San Francisco, a whole generation sitting in a house that eventually is so incredibly cheap to live in but isn't being moved on to a new family that could use it or a young couple uh, and so on and so forth and so it really seems to put a massive jam and like you said incredibly beneficial if you're renting at the time when the controls are brought in but otherwise you become even more locked out of the system because no one wants to leave. Very much so I mean one of the big if you look at it another way as well what you often find is that a group might go in um, say mum dad and two children at that point they've got a subsidised house like that but in 20 years time 10 years time when those children might have moved out when there's been changes in that household composition that's no longer fit for purpose more importantly what it says is because you don't put, you've almost never seen rent controls put on every rental. You put them on existing rentals and you might exempt, for example, new builds and similar, which means that you have sort of a two-part system where there's a bunch of people who are on a subsidised or rent-limited uh, rental and those who are moving into a new rental which don't have those same limits it means you drive a huge wedge between those two different groups so if you're in a subsidised rental why would you move you're going to have to move to somewhere that can only be more expensive and that's uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense so you do see and the studies from San Francisco prove this that you have a much lower turnover rate to the point where you do wonder exactly how that plays out just as importantly you also see that the uh, the challenge or the cost, if you will, of the rental controls is only borne, I think, about a third by those actual properties. So what we've seen in the evidence from San Francisco and other parts of the US where rental controls have been imposed, that it actually limits the uh, price of property in those local areas much more than otherwise. So essentially it drags everyone down because there's that lower potential to develop. One of the big concerns, particularly in the likes of New York, is that you also have no incentive as a landlord to actually develop your property any further. There is no sort of element of, of maintenance that you can be covered by rental increases as goods and services go up. We know that inflation uh, continues to only move in one real direction. And so what that means in the US, for example, is that you've got apartments now in 2020 that still have fittings from the 1960s because no one's going to pay to in increase them. So if you think uh, housing quality in New Zealand is bad at the moment, things would likely only get worse with rental controls. So if there's, if there's such a strong practical and theoretical argument against it that's been borne out over the course of time, uh, why, why has this come up again in New Zealand currently? What are, what are the arguments for it? Oh, politics. And I think that's the thing, because it's a simple, elegant solution on the surface that it controls rents. And people say, well, you shouldn't charge more than X amount of dollars for this sort of very important good. Like, yes, it, it, shelter is important. Having a roof over your head is critical. But the government dictating how much that is or isn't, it's a, it's a very close-run uh, thing to you know why the government would or wouldn't decide on the cost of other uh, essential items, you know, fruit and vegetables and, and similar. Now, we let the market dictate prices because they sometimes have to, you know, we have to uh, allow things to uh, move about and and better inf with better information rather than what the government decides to do. 
look, all we need to do is look back to part of the Muldoon days when we did have price and wage freezes to see just why these things don't work. I think it's incredibly important to sort of look through that short-term political view of why rental controls might be attractive and understand that actually they limit supply of housing going forward. So if we want to solve the housing crisis, we need to actually address those issues rather than trying to implement policies that might work in the short term over the next two years but actually damn us to a much, much darker future when it comes to housing. So let's talk about those other solutions for a moment there. So if you were, let's say we gave you the reins of power, a majority in the House of Parliament, what would you do? What, what, what do you think the most practical, pragmatic, common sense approach to the current housing crisis is? Look, a lot of it does have to do with supply, but I think we've also got to be realistic that there's no silver bullet that fixes this in a year. We've let the issue of housing build up over probably a good 30, nearly 40 years now. It's not going to be reversed overnight, and in a sense it's going to have to get worse until it gets better. But let's look at supply for a minute. Now there's an element of we need more builders, or we at least need to be able to build more houses quicker. So the first part of that says either we find a whole bunch more chippies, pretty difficult in the current circumstances, or we allow for more prefabrication and similar. So let's cut a bit of that red tape around the current consenting process, which means that your builder, your local council and everyone else goes back and forth and back and forth for months, try and get a little bit uh, of faster building activities happening. There's also cutting down some of that red tape when it comes to actually land provision. So we know at the moment that there's a lot of parts of New Zealand where it's quite restrictive on what buildings can happen, uh, what sort of story, you know, how many stories you get, what sort of areas that, that things can be built in. All of that adds a lot of cost. It also adds a lot of uh, time pressure, which means a lot of people aren't able to develop the same amount of housing that they might want to anyway. And then you come to the last bit, which is infrastructure. Now, I'd love to build a house on a bit of land, but if that bit of land doesn't have internet and water connected to it, it's never going to be a good thing unless I'm looking to live off the grid, and I'm not. So for a lot of people, that there's also that need to provide infrastructure. Now, councils only have a limited pool of money, um, and sometimes it, in terms of where it goes, it's not always into these infrastructure areas. It does speak to a need to actually provide a bit more. Basically, let's get some pipes in the ground get some pipes in the ground then we can build stuff on top of it to build stuff on top of it we've got to have the right rules once we've got the right rules we've got to get a building there to build we either need more builders or more ability to actually put stand houses up and prefabrication can help so uh, would, would you then be in support of the recent national policy to essentially just give a grant of fifty thousand dollars to every to a council every time they can send a house in, in essence yes I mean I think it's the sort of thing that we know from local government that there are pressures around it structure you only have to look at the poo that runs down Wellington streets every now and then to understand that there are those challenges um, now in a sense you can fight over whose fault it is or you can get some more infrastructure in the ground and I think it's important that we actually get activity moving so yeah getting more cash into councils specifically for infrastructure and let's be clear this money would be tagged specifically for uh, pipes and those sort of elements uh, is going to be important I've never heard anyone argue that we need fewer pipes around a city um, it's quite clear that we need a lot more uh, so let's just say, uh, let's run a hypothetical. Rent controls come in on top of the changes to the bright line test and tax deductibility for investment properties. Uh, what are we going to see? Would we see property being sold in droves, landlords walking away from the business? What would it look like? You could possibly see that. And importantly, now in a sense, people say, well, the, you know, there's no change in uh, the necessary supply of housing at that point because if you go from being a landlord to selling it, you've got to sell it to someone. Now, either you sell that to another uh, landlord who 
keeps providing rentals or you provide it to a first home buyer, maybe at a lower price. Now there's definitely that. Evidence though from the likes of San Francisco again highlights that it often price uh, price or rent controlled elements are sold to those who are much more uh, middle class and better off. And so if we recognise that there are a lot of people who rent not necessarily only because they can't get into the housing market because that's legitimately just where they are in life at the moment, they haven't saved a deposit or similar, the re- reduction in rental stock could well harm those who are in a much more precarious situation. The too long don't read there is that you might have groups who are renters at the moment who are going to never going to be able to own a house in the next five years or so who might find that they are much more priced out of the market. Without another rental to go to, they can't buy a house. They're going to have to go and look for other accommodation, either living in a car or looking to the likes of government, which is where we're likely to see an increase further in the likes of the state housing waitlist because people will be unable to afford housing. So if we saw rental controls come in, you would see a reduction in the rental stock over time you would see that we have worse quality houses than we have now and we wouldn't be replenishing them or adding as many over time so if we think we've got a crisis now rental controls far from actually fixing them make them a lot worse and probably lock in some of those losses for a number of years. So when we think of um, a large, we're in Wellington, it's, a, it's a very much a university town among other things, and we think about a lot of uh, a lot of that population which would have voted Labour and they're now either they're currently renting or they might be looking to buy a new house. They're essentially the group that is getting screwed over the most by these proposals because not only are they getting locked out of the, not only are they getting locked out of uh, being able to necessarily buy, but also the, the quality of the places that they're living in currently is just going to continue to go down Hill. Yeah, well, look, I th- we've got to acknowledge that we've got some significant issues with housing at the moment, and it doesn't really matter which political colour you come from, that all of those issues have built up over a long period of time. And so there's blame, enough blame to go round, but there is also an element of getting on and fixing it. And I think that's one of the challenges that we have at the moment is this big focus on what's the silver bullet. What, what would you do to fix this? And the answer there is that there isn't a silver bullet, but there is a need to load every bullet you've got, every good idea, into your gun and start to fire them. Because until you do that, you don't start addressing the issue and for a lot of people I think we've also got to recognise that we need to one build more houses but two build much better quality houses as we move forward because again in Wellington we do have some let's be quite frank some pretty awful cruddy houses uh, around that is a huge uh, issue for a lot of places the other big challenge that you start to see around the housing uh, outcomes for New Zealanders is that it might well start to pivot people away from our major urban metro centres into more regional parts if there's more housing if there's better quality housing and certainly cheaper housing options out across the regions you might well find that people are looking uh, out there we've heard ourselves uh, at work a number of businesses who are looking to relocate their business operations into regional centres because if you can't find a worker because they can't find a house you're going to have to move because you just can't afford to not have that important talent. So this is starting to make a really big impact on New Zealand's economy much more broadly than just the housing market but until we start to get serious on increasing supply we are not going to solve the issues. Essentially you can only play musical chairs for so long before you've got no more chairs to sit on. If you add more chairs that's more bums on seats. Now I just noticed uh, when you were speaking just before uh, you said that earlier earlier in the piece uh, you had spoken about the need for uh, less regulation around around housing and and making sure that we can uh, grow the numbers of bums on seats but also the need for uh, higher quality housing which to me 
would it would sound like further regulation. So how do you find the balance in between those? Yeah, well, I, I guess it's sort of exactly what we're looking at there. So parts of the regulation I was talking about, particularly around land supplies, what sort of building we can do. You know, is it just a, a, a character house, a, a one bedroom or a, or a one story element? Is it sort of a four story townhouse that you know, is, is, yep, gets rid of some culture by some people's standards, but actually adds to housing stock on others. Uh, that's the sort of thing I think we can get away with without having to compromise on quality. Um, just as importantly, I think, you know, we've, we've seen some building regulations come in in recent years which are moving us much more towards that, that sort of position uh, of, of warmer, drier homes, and I think there's, there's a balance to be struck there. In essence, because we need to be building more at the moment, the current regulations we've got around quality are likely to allow us to build better quality homes, so I don't think there's a lot that needs to be changed on the current build quality, it's just that we need a lot more building at that higher quality to sort of change the stock, because we have so much that was built uh, you know, back in, in yesteryear that hasn't been upgraded, that means that the overall stock of building is of low quality, even though the new stuff coming online is of higher quality. So it's a mix of, of what we've currently got. So currently getting rid of some of what we've currently got of, of that lower level, bringing in some of the newer stuff at a higher quality, that's going to start to move the, the dial a bit. Thank you for that, Brad. And do you think you could provide us with a brief summary of the points in general that we've covered over the course of this podcast, just for the listeners? Those were the major points. With rental controls, you do see a reduction in overall supply of rentals. You see that people uh, stick around for a lot longer in places that might not be the best option for them. That very much drives a wedge between those who are currently in uh, rentals who do quite well out of the scheme and those who are trying to come in that get screwed over a lot more. Um, and I think just profiling that again if you're try if you've got a need to get people into houses you don't make a dictation over who can get a house or not you just simply build more houses uh, you know it, it is simple in a sense that you do need to expand supply yes there are elements and we've seen the government change some of those around business invest uh, business investment housing investment but overall the focus needs to be a lot more on the supply side than the demand side especially because lower interest rates at the moment are going to continue pushing people into housing and there's nothing the government can or in a sense wants to get involved with there and so the simple solution there is to expand the housing stock because although house prices have increased incredibly over the last 12 months or so it wouldn't have they wouldn't have gone up to such a degree if we'd had a much more responsive housing set you only have to look to Christchurch to see those numbers. It's very true thank you so much for joining us on Taxpayer Talk Brad. Thank you very much for having me. The Taxpayer Talk podcast is made possible by the tens of thousands of New Zealanders who join or support the Taxpayers Union at taxpayers.org.nz Constructive feedback is welcome via podcast at taxpayers.org.nz and don't forget to hit subscribe or even give us a five-star review on your podcast app.